around in our culture right now and you really understand what's happening. Some of us look at the culture, especially coming from the D.C. area or in the California areas and other parts of our land, and we look around just in the world in general, what do we see? A lot of them will say, man, it's just hopeless, right? I mean, it's just come on, church, we're just looking at it and saying it's hopeless. And I think if we're just being completely transparent, we look around and we're just like, where is hope? Where is it? Am I, do I need to get another mic? It's static a little bit. It's probably probably my butt. That's just the way it goes usually. It's in the way always. Let's see if that works. Pull it out of my back pocket. Is that going to work? Sounds like it already is. Nope. nope mm-mm. Maybe. Ah, there it goes. So if you look at this word, yeah, see, it's always a butt joke somewhere. Oh man, you have no idea. That's, just, that's how my mind works. You have no idea what just went in my mind. All right. Um, Sir Lance a lot. Let's just go that way. Anyways, uh, hope, right? Th- th- a lot of people are looking for it. A lot of people are just starving for hope. And if we look around, it just seems hopeless. I mean, come on, with me a little bit? And, and a lot of people just are crying out for, like, where, does it even matter? Why? Why? Why should I do it? And I think it's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a hope that we have if, if we're following Christ if we, that we should lean into. James 4 eight says, hey, draw near to me and I will what? Draw near. Come on, you got the same Bible I got, right? We draw near to you. And if we do this well, we're going to provide hope. You're going to see hope form up in a way that could radically change people's lives. And this is what I would bring to you today is simply this. Hope is here. Come on. Hope is here because his name is Jesus and he is here. And if you haven't been able to feel him yet, maybe you ain't got hope. Maybe you're looking for it and you're like, man, I know the words of the songs and and I can even dance and and I can even say the most blessing of prayer. Amen. But the truth is you're not filled with hope. And it's written all over your face. You, you even dress the part, you, you wear the part. But let me tell you, man, the mountains still bow down. The mountains, the oceans still roar. And Jesus' ultimate victory was brought, brought us life. And he, more importantly, he brought us hope to all mankind to fulfill the promise that was made in the Old Testament. And it was basically hope. Man, there's going to be some dark times. It says it in scriptures. There's going to be some unknown moments. It says it in scriptures. But hope will always be there if you know what happens in the end. Let me just go ahead and tell you, if you fast forward your books really quickly to the book of Revelation, you're going to find out we win in the end, y'all. We we win. You should have hope. I know what the score looks like, and it looks like we are getting beat to death as Christians. Well, let me tell you something. The scorecard in the end says hope wins. Now, I, don't, I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know how it's going to... Well, I can tell you what the scriptures say. But in the end, it's going to feel like it's just we got a setback after setback after setback. And, and it just looks so un, unbelievably one-sided. But then I'm telling you, there's a Hail Mary coming. His name is Jesus. And when he comes, he's going to come with a vengeance for his people. He's going to say, let me, let me, let me tell you, these are my people. No one touches them no more. No more. So I'm telling you, there's hope, guys. Every, everyone, my, my guess is, is everyone has lived or gone through some sort of setback in life. And especially in a season where it just, come, come on, COVID, come on, right? 
Now, I'm not dissing COVID, right? You're not going to hear me say that because I do believe it's real. But at the same time, we, we just came through a season of like, what, what is going on? And I think the church is still radically getting shifted through this. What is going on? Look around. There was friends that were once here. Now they're not. Am I telling the truth or not? I mean, because it's happened in our church. I know it's happened in y'all's church. It's happened in churches all around. The statistics don't lie. The statistics show that we're, we're, we're gravitating toward a hopeless generation. And, and I'm telling you, people are looking for it. They're crying for it. But we've all had setbacks. But I'm telling you, if we lean in to the master of comebacks, we're going to know what hope really looks like. And when we figure that out as a church, we're going to be glorifying and praising and dancing in Jesus' name. And you're not going to be able to understand it. And some people are like, wow, man, that's a Pentecostal church. No, I'm telling you, it's Jesus' church. And when you figure that out, it will set you free because you're not going to worry about other people around you. You're going to be filled with hope. You're going to be filled with hope. The question is, is do setbacks dominate you or do you allow Christ's comebacks to change you and provide hope for a culture that is desperately needing it? That's a great question. It's an awesome question. Let me just throw it out again. The question is, do setbacks dominate you or do you allow Christ's comebacks constantly through his word, through his worship, and through your prayer time to change your life filled with hope? It's a glory, it's a glory-filled question. Are you spending five minutes a day? We, we challenge our people all the time. Oh, I just don't have time. Ah, come on, man. You go, go to the gospel before you go digital, right? Go, go to the Bible, go to his word before you go to social word. Find out what he is trying to say to, to you today before you step into today. Because I promise you, there's a word for you. There's something there for you, for you to enter into his gates. To go change the world, filled with hope. The problem is we're running on empty. We're running on empty. We're running dry. And if we understand what this well is trying to provide in John chapter 4, it's going to quench your thirst. It really will. It'll change your life. And when we fill up the world full of hope, man, get ready. Proverbs 13, 12 says this. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hear me on this. If you're taking notes, let me tell you something. Take notes in, 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 in Scripture. Come on, come on. Take notes. These are, these are notes. I'm not going to put these on the, on, the, on the board. So you're going to have to take some notes. Take, just write it down to your cell phone. Do something. I don't know. Text it to yourself. If your cell phone starts to go off. But you need, to, you need to know this verse. This is a powerful verse. Proverbs 13, 12. By the way, in Habakkuk 4, 4, it says, those who take notes get into heaven. Anyways, Proverbs 13, 12. It's, that is not true. That's a lie. If that offends you, I'm sorry, I'm not the real pastor. Derek will be back next week. Anyways, Proverbs 13, 12, that's what we believe in Kentucky, though. Anyways, Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred, Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Makes the heart sick. But a dream fulfilled is a, is, is a tree full of life. Man, that is, that a Get you pumped up in the morning, ready to go. And then go spend five minutes in worship and just dancing and then five minutes in prayer. And I'm telling you, that right there, that'll change your day, man. It just will. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. You're talking about the one who, who can change your life, which is Jesus. You see, what I've learned is a setback or a delay will pull you away from this verse. It'll pull you away from hope. You'll get caught up in the setback. You'll get caught up that the things in this culture is pulling me away. And we pull away from life 
And more importantly, we pull, pull away from your purpose in life, which I do believe we are all made on purpose for a purpose. And eventually you'll change. You'll change one way or another. And 95% of our culture right now is changing for the worst because they're believing into lies. And who's the father of all lies? Not Washington, D.C., by the way. All right? It says you should pray for your enemies. I mean, I meant my friends. You caught that one. Some of that's a bad joke. But the truth is, is, hey, listen, man, I'm telling you, when you start to understand who is against you, really, you start to understand who is for you. And you start to believe it, and it will begin to change what you care about. And when you change what you care about, you'll start to understand what hope can do with your life. Let me, let me give you some hope today. Even with all the chaos around us, according to the end of this book, I'm telling you, we win in the end. And I know it may seem dim or grim or and with the abortion stuff going on left and right and, and probably your conversations of this and that, maybe work or maybe a financial situation or your marriage is out of control or whatever it is, maybe the kids are out of control. Maybe you stepped on a Lego last night. Okay, I know that one. Amen. And the house is a wreck. I don't know what it is, but I can promise you this. If you let those setbacks or those things start to creep in and you start to drift away from hope, what are you what are you anchored to? Because then you'll believe a certain law that this is the new new. Negative. I'm telling you, step back into the center where hope is fulfilled all around you and he will change your path. Psalms 23, 6 says, Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me in all the days of my life and I will forever live in the house of the Lord. When you go and gravitate towards hope, this is what happens. Your goodness and unfailing love will pursue you constantly every step of the way. Job 8, 13, it says the same happens to all who forget God. The hope of the godless evaporates. Meaning, once you forget who is who's your hope fulfiller and, and who's surely around you, you forget who God is. And let me tell you something. What I've noticed over the past six months and even into the summer, we sort of forget going to church. Church becomes a thing we do on Sunday and we drift away from it. We, we, even, we even drift away from reading the word. We drift away from getting in our groups. We, we drift away from spiritual conversations. We drift and we get away from true hope. That can set you free in all situations. And so the, the truth of this, it starts to evaporate, just like Job. It, it, it evaporated in his generation. It evaporated around him, and he forgot who God was, is what it says. Guys, I'm telling you, we can't allow that to happen. Today, I want to encourage you to a hope in Jesus Christ, not only that will change your life, but will change your community. Not only change your community, it'll change the world. It had flat out changed the world. And it had changed the trajectory of many people in generations beyond us. It flat out will change the generations to come if we decide to take a stand and say, this is what life looks like. It's filled with hope in Jesus. Hebrews 6, 18 and 19 says, so God has given both his promises and his oath. I love it. We just sang something about promises. There's over 7,000 promises in the word of God. Lean into one of those promises. I promise you to change your day. 
It had changed your whole decade, by the way. Think about that. One promise a day. It changed your decade. It says, so God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Mm, come on, that don't get you fired. fired. Come on, we, half truth is a full lie, right? Right? You with me? And if this is true, then that means, man, well, let's just stand in it because he cannot lie. The, so God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, I love it when there's a therefore in the Bible because some good is about to come. Therefore, we, that's me and you, who have fled to him for refuge. By the way, the center of your Bible, the very center, forward and backwards, Psalms 118, it says better to take refuge in the Lord than to Trust in man. Can I get an amen? Somebody needs to take some refuge in the Lord today. In verse 19, it really keeps on going. Can, well, excuse me. It says, then take him for refuge. Can have a great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. Verse 19, this hope is the strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Did you catch that, church? This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the current situation to God's inner sanctuary. God, if we're, if we're anchored to our hope, there ain't no wind that can push us this way. There ain't no water that can push us this way. It is going to allow us to be tethered to the only thing that matters. And you will not drift. So what are you anchored to? You see, this is what I've learned is you can go a couple weeks without food. <laughs> you, you, you can go days without water. You can go actually a couple minutes without oxygen, but you cannot live a life without hope. You'll walk in darkness. You will completely buy into over the lies. You will completely not understand one promise in the Bible. There is over 7,000. I'll say it again. There's over 7,000 promises for you, but you have to read them and to believe in them. Here's one for you before we dive into this scripture. One of my favorite Bible verses of all time. Isaiah 40, 31. And it simply says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew your strength. For some of you today, you need to renew. I don't know what it looks like. And it goes on, and it simply says, hey, you will run and not grow weary. You will walk and not be faint. I'm telling you, you will mount up on wings like eagles, and you will soar. Wouldn't you love to soar above everything, all this chaos going on in the world today? That only comes from the hope that you have in Jesus. That only comes from diving in to this, this truth. And there's this scene in the Bible in John chapter 4, where we're heading today, and I'm telling you, there's a hopeless situation with a woman. She just she she escapes reality by going to midday to the well to try to get her chores out of the way because of the reality of the stuff that she's stuck in. And matter of fact, she's stuck in a culture that she's full of Sumerian people where they're just kind of looked as second tier people. She's not even looked at as a, a, a child of God, but even though she is and she feels that way, she's hopeless. There's a setback. There's a problem. She's hopeless. Isn't it funny that Jesus is always right in the center of everything and right there ready to be in the scene if we just 
walk and move and begin to step into the, the moment that's designed for us. And this is exactly what happens. If Jesus is at the center of it, it's not hopeless. People, I'm telling you, if Jesus is at the center of this conversation, it's a recipe for change. It's, it's the fundamental base for life to happen. And here's this woman in, in, in John chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. That's where I'm going to pick it up right here. John chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. It says, uh, go, go on to 4 for me. We're going to skip this part because this is disciples and people and Pharisees all baptizing. Who's got the most baptisms? You go read it for yourself. I don't want to bore you because it just, it's just pride. But in verse 4, verse 4, it says, now he had gone to, through Samaria, and then so he came, uh, there it is, yeah, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sahir. And near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from, from the journey, uh, something saw down, I can't read that over there, man, guys, sorry, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. Verse 7, keep going. It says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Will you give? Now, this is Jesus, y'all. Think about that for the first day. But Jesus knows the situation at hand. He understands your situation. He's just watching and waiting to see if you'll respond. He, he, he goes everywhere, even into other territories, is first thing. Even into enemy territories, he goes alone because he is the Alpha and Omega. It doesn't bother him. He goes into places where it's probably a little darker than others and places where he doesn't match up skin-wise, color-wise, Samaritan-wise, the whole nine yards. He's going to go into other places. Let me tell you something. There's some people in bars around you right now, maybe in other places around here that need the love of Jesus. Maybe it's time for us to get off our seat in our row and go hang out with them. That's a little bit of preaching coming at you hard and strong, but the truth is, as Jesus did it, it's good for us. He shows up when you try to hide. This is what I've also seen in this passage. He, he, he shows up even when you try to hide. It says in the middle of the day, in noon of the day, well, everybody, if you know how they do their chores, they go in the morning time and late in the evening to get the water for the day to go do this. Here she is coming in the middle of the day. She's trying to hide. She, she's caught up in some setbacks. She's caught up in some problems. And she's hopeless. And so she's showing up when no one else is. And, but yet Jesus knew. And he sent his disciples on because he knew that they would start questioning and causing all kinds of problems. So he goes sits at the well. And it's like, hey, I'm kind of thirsty. You're coming to, 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 to do something with the well. I, I would like to have a drink. Can I have something? So he's trying to, he's trying to question and draw her near her to him. But yet she's like, I, I, why, why are you doing this? Why are you even asking me of this? Why, you know you, who you are and who I am. I, we can't be talking. You're a male and I'm a female and, and you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Like this, this conversation goes on and forth, back and forth. And it's a dialogue. And Jesus already knows the situation. He's just waiting for you to just have the conversation. He is waiting on you to fulfill something that only you can do through him. That'll preach, y'all. He's waiting on you to fulfill something in our culture that can only be done through him. And in verse 10, that's what it basically gets to. 
his disciples had gone into town and Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, if you, do you see the question, the switch, the quick, the quick turn? It says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Immediately, this, this conversation gets really, you can almost think, you can almost, what, what, what did he just say? And you can almost, if you read into scripture, don't blaze through it like a Krispy Kreme donut, but like literally chomp on it like a little bit, of, you know, something a little bit heavier, like a Dunkin' Donut. <laughs> but like literally, you could see this is, this is causing some tension in her life and there's a problem going on. So she's just like, wait a minute, what? Sir, the woman said. You, you have nothing. To, so she's, now she's coming up with excuses. What, isn't that funny when Jesus gives us an answer? It's like we come up with all kinds of excuses. We will come up with anything. Like, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. You have nothing to, to get something to drink with. The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Can you imagine... If, if she really knew who Jesus was, I mean, I'm sure she didn't, of course, but she knew of the Messiah because he was a rock star at this point. I mean, he's healing, he's doing all kinds of things. But yeah, here in this moment, like, she has no clue who he is. And in verse 12, it simply says this. It says, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as he did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answers, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Everybody who drinks out of this well is going to be thirsty again. It's funny, man. It, it gets funny. Jesus is like, hey, I've got an answer for every question. I've got a solution for every problem. I've got something for you, even in your excuses. You just got to listen to me. And he is getting her, he is creating tension to get her undivided attention. She, he is getting her setback ready for her comeback. Y'all, this is what's going down because everybody in town won't have a conversation with her. And she just blazes a trail to the water well, she blazes a trail right back. Her whole life has been filled of this and all of a sudden somebody's decided to have a conversation. You know why? You can already find out. It's an amazing moment and it's simply, I've already said it, but it has to do with there's something inside of her that can change everybody. But yes, she's got to know. She's got to be exposed. She understands she's designed for more, but she is hopeless. But eventually, she's going to be filled with hope, y'all. And so Jesus is that comeback, right? Here, here comes the rest of that comeback story. So in verse 13, it says this. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. But whoever gives the water I drink them will never thirst. And indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Meaning, thus, if you drink this, you're never quenched for water ever again. And so in verse 15, the woman immediately said, well, sir, hey, come on now. I, I, I want this water. I want this water. In 15, it simply says, I want this water, sir. Go give me this water so I won't get thirsty then. And I don't have to come keeping on coming back here. So basically, she wants the blessing before she gets to Jesus. 
Do you see what she's trying to do? She's trying to go around Jesus to get, I don't want to have to come back here no more. I want to keep on living my own selfish way. I want to keep on living in sin. I want to keep on doing this. If I can just have the blessing, I don't want to have to change. So he says, listen. In verse 16. Well, this is how he gets into her. This is how he really gets to her heart. He says, well, go call your husband and come back to me. Well, she, remember that whole thing of Adam and Eve and, and, and like, Adam, where are you? What Jesus already knew. And it says Adam was hiding from Eve, uh, hiding from God. I don't know how that works. You can't hide from God. You, you can't fool Jesus. He, he's the Alpha and Omega. He knows all. He's the beginning and the end. He, he literally knows all, tells all. And it's time for us to believe in all, he says. He says, go and call your husband and come back. Verse 17. And she says, well, you know, well, you know, I really, um, right now, I don't have a husband. She replies, and Jesus said to her, yeah, you're right. And when you say you have no husband, <laughs> the fact is, and this is where the truth hits the wall, right? The, the fact is, you have, have had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is really not your husband and what you said is actually quite true. You're trying to lie and cover it up with a lie, but the truth is you ain't want to talk about the truth. And all of a sudden, in verse 19, she's like, Sir. And you can just, you can, her heart is now just doing this, like it is pumping, right? The woman said, I, I, I can see that you're a prophet. In verse 20, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but the Jews claimed that the place where you must worship is in Jerusalem. And keep going in verse 20, it's 21, it says, Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. And like he is pressing into her because she is completely wanting to change, but she's got fear and she knows a little bit about Scripture. She's, she's got a little bit under her belt, right? And this is the second scene right here in this passage. And it, it is where we only want to be around hope. It's where we only want to be around it, but we really don't want to change. We want the blessing from God and be around worship, but we don't want to change and go out and change the world. We want to sort of stick around sin because sometimes it's fun to dabble in it. And Jesus calls it out of her and he simply says, this is what worship really looks like. This is what you're into. You, yeah, you're right. You have five husbands plus one. And it's about time we change the scene, y'all. It's about time that, that Jesus changes the scene. And he does. He says, this is what really worship looks like. This is what it really gets to. And he goes into verse 22. He says, you Samaritans worship what you don't even know. And we worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jewish culture is what he's getting at. Yet a time is coming in verse 23. A time is coming and has now come. I love it. Meaning I'm right here in front of you. A time has come and it is now right here, right now. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. So when you worship, when you come in on Sundays, or when you go and wake up on Monday and Tuesday, you, you, you start to worship in spirit and truth. And I guarantee you, something amazing happens. The Father is present also. It says, for they are a kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Meaning he's looking for your spirit, he's looking for the truth. In verse 24, it says, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and the truth. Verse 25, the woman said, 
I know that Messiah. I know that there's a Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to this. He will explain this all to everybody. Can you imagine the moment on that, that face right there? Again, she's got answers for everything, right? She's living in this setback. She's, she's got everything. She's got an answer for everything. She knows the law. She knows everything. And in verse 26, and then Jesus says, Hi. Hi. My name is Jesus. I, the one speaking to you, I am he. That's, that's me. The, the one you just talked about, the one you claim to be worshipped, the one, the one. Can you imagine that moment? That moment of free, that, that, that moment of. Isn't it always funny when these guys show back up on scene? They're like, oh man, Jesus, uh, you shouldn't be around other, especially a woman. And you know, oh my goodness, do you know what she's into? Like, um, Jesus, you shouldn't be around her. And like, you, this, this, this conversation is going sideways quickly. The disciples show back up confused because he's talking to the woman and, and tries to get Jesus' attention. Hey, uh, Jesus, well, they try to confuse him up a little bit. Hey, maybe in verse 32, uh, maybe you should eat something, Jesus. Come over here for a second and just try to eat something. So, And in verse 32, he simply just goes on a, a rampage with them and he says, hey, listen, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Right? Meaning, I, I am fulfilled. I've got something that you still haven't figured out. Even though you've been walking with me for over a year and a half, you haven't figured it out, boys. You don't understand. And in verse 33 and following, it just, it just presses this accelerator. And he keeps on saying, then his disciples said what to each other, could, could someone have brought food to him? And they were kind of confused. No, my food, said Jesus, is, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Ha, <laughs> ha. I am fulfilled by this. Verse 35. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Shift church. I'm telling you, look around. Open your eyes. The fields are ripe for harvest if you really are saying I'm hungry for something. Because it will fulfill you. Look around. It'll change the way you look at things. Verse 36, even now the ones who reap draws a wage and harvest on a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Verse 37, thus the saying one sows and another reap is true is what he says. When he goes on in verse 38, so I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work for you and, and, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. In verse 38, and keep on pressing forward real quickly, and we'll get to the close of this. But it says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And he told me everything that I did. Now, this is the verse that really sort of switches it into the last scene, into this fourth scene. And this fourth scene, this is moment of changed lives that changed lives. And it really is a game changer for the kingdom of God. Hey guys, if you haven't listened yet, I really want to press you into this last little moment because here's the moment that's the game changer for Shift Church. It's the game changer for the Christian world. It's the game changer for all setbacks because Jesus literally is filled with hope that could come back around our world and change the trajectory of everything. Listen to this. Let's just read it together. It says, so many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him and so when the Samaritans came to him, 
they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed how many days? Come on, right there it is. How many? Two days, 48 hours, right? Verse 41. And because of his words, many more became what? Many more became believers. And in verse 42, it says, They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Now, I know in our network of churches, and I know this church especially, has a, a Jesus conversation push. We want to make disciples who make disciples. We have a Jesus conversation. We want to make Jesus the center of our attention. We want to fulfill the world with his hope. Can I ask you a question? Why is there so many people around you hopeless? Why is there so much energy being brought, trying to bring somebody to church versus take them to Jesus? It's a bold question, but it needs to be asked. Now, there's nothing greater than celebrating and worshiping on Sunday, but I'm telling you, the world right now around you doesn't need church. They need Jesus. They need to be fulfilled with Jesus. They need to find hope in Jesus. They need to understand Christ. And it says it only took 48 hours. What if we got serious about Jesus for 48 hours in our town? What would it look like for this one church to get really serious about Jesus, not shift church? I love shift church, but I think a lot of Christians, even church, falls in love with shift church or church, the church, and not Jesus. You get your, you get the, you've been bought into the whispers of the lies uh, of, of just creating a culture of, hey, we, this is changed, all men feel a change. No, you haven't really been changed. This is what change really looks like because they finally... This whole town has saw the change in her and it wasn't a church, it was Jesus. And they said, listen, she fulfilled her purpose by drawing other people. Hey, you need to come and see this. You need to come and see this man who knew everything about me. Hey, I don't care. You know everything about me. I've slept with him and I slept with him. I shouldn't have slept with him, but I did. I slept with him. You know, she is going, she is testifying. She is being a witness of her life. She's pointing everybody back to Jesus. Every step of the way. When Jesus shows up, he used the most crazy story in the world. He went into some scenes of, of dark territories. He went into some areas without his disciples. He went into an area that he should not have been. He sat beside a well that he really didn't need anything from. He just knew that she was going to show up. And he knew if she surrendered all in that one moment, he could use that one woman in her brokenness, in her hopeless state, to go change the world. Who is that person sitting beside you at work? Who is that person sitting beside you at the gym? Who is that one person that just needs Jesus? Not church this week. Church comes from being discipled. Church comes from a longing to be a part. A church comes literally from you going out and being the church. And this is just a gathering. This is an ecclesia, a moment we get to celebrate on Sundays. Talk about the witnesses that have come to 
dead to life. We get to dance around and have fun on Sunday mornings and celebrate the fact that we've seen life change. And we get to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they're filled with hope for the first time in a long time. Guys, look around. The scorecard is serious. There's people dying and going to hell and Satan is laughing his head off. Would you be bold enough to say, let's plunder hell and take some back? And say, enough's enough. Let's get serious about Jesus. And I promise you, you will take the hope of the You will take the hope of Christ to the world that desperately needs him. And we're going to see life change. We're going to see heaven change. And you're going to be a part of it. It's a great story. It's much more than a story the truth if you go a little bit deeper you're going to find out this woman's never mentioned again but what you will find out in this area the story grows the gospel is unleashed and it actually changes more regions because of this one woman who is now filled with hope what does it look like to fill Knoxville with hope a hope can change the world Guys, I'm telling you, we have our we have our job, we have an opportunity, we have a task before us, but it comes only from you experiencing who Jesus is that can fill you up today, that can go out and fill the world out tomorrow. The question is, who's with us? Who's ready to do it? it doesn't take a microphone, it doesn't take a stage, it takes you going and telling your friend, if you drink from this cup, you'll thirst no more. Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your love. And more importantly, I thank you for your hope that can radically change people's lives. God, I just pray that as we have ears to hear, we just lean into your word. And more importantly, we trust it. We allow it to to change what we care about. We allow it to just penetrate our hearts. And we do go out and tell the world of a hope that can change their life. Lord, I thank you for the woman at the well. I thank you for her story and her witness. Even her setback, I thank you for it because you used it and you you just definitely allowed a comeback to happen and you changed the culture. God, there's so many stories in front of us that could be written in this Bible, but they're, they're ready to be written through social media platforms. They're ready to be written on Twitter. They're ready to be written on Facebook. In, in, in the places that we now surf and live. So God, may, may that be so. May that be true. May that be the fundamental base that we start with and we go out and we love our neighbor. We share your hope. It has the potential to change the world. So God, give us boldness. Give us courage. Give us passion. Give us strength. More importantly, give us hope. Hope that can change the world. In our hearts, may we believe it. And may we, may we go do it with our minds. And not buy into Satan's lies no more. That's my prayer. May we step in that too. May we step